0: does God ever deny our prayers? And if so, what did Jesus mean when he said that we'd be given whatever we asked for in his name? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org starting now. Once again, everybody, welcome. You are listening to Bible Study org. I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Today is Wednesday, May the 16th of 2012, and God bless you guys. I'm so happy for you guys to be here as we uh, have our last lesson in chapter 15 today. Uh, We're going to be studying Romans chapter 15, verses 30 to 33, so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 15. We'll be starting here in just a moment, but uh, I do want to welcome you guys and thank you guys for joining us, and I want to apologize you know, like I seem to do this all the time. Uh, I want to apologize um, for not having a podcast up last week. My intention was to do a romans lesson, and uh, tuesdays i can 't record anymore because I like to record over it uh, over at my church and on Tuesdays we actually have a group of Koreans who are um renting out the church uh, on on Tuesdays so the church isn't available to me on Tuesdays so on weeks when I'm doing Romans now I have to put it off until Wednesday uh Monday my brain still feels like scrambled eggs after uh service on Sunday so um so Wednesday is typically the day that we do it but last week uh man I just got I got completely Uh, flooded with meetings and uh, all all kinds of stuff that I had to attend to, and uh, so unfortunately, the lesson got postponed until this week. But uh, you know, in the big picture, um, you know we've we've got a couple hundred people maybe who who listen as soon as a podcast comes out, and we've got a lot of people who listen uh, months or or maybe even years after a podcast comes out. So if you're listening, you know, sometime in the way distant future, it hasn't mattered to you whether I missed last week or not. But I do like to be faithful to it. Um, I do like to keep a, a routine and and keep the podcasts coming. Uh, just because this is obviously uh, a pretty big study, and it's taken us a long time just to get this far. And I do want to finish this up someday. Actually, we're pretty close. I think we'll be finishing here within the next uh, month, maybe two months, which is kind of crazy. You know, it's been like almost five and a half years that we've been doing these uh, Romans lessons. Pretty wild. Uh, Before we get started, I wanted to remind you guys, uh, I, I think I said something about a year ago. It must have been about a year ago that I was going to be featured on godcastingradio.com and uh, that's uh, that's something, we've got biblestudypodcast.org playing at 12 o'clock noon on Godcasting Radio so if you want to check that out, it's on uh, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon um, or at noon uh, <laughs> technically not afternoon, right? But uh, yeah, go ahead and check that out and listen to some of the other stuff that they have on there um Hopefully that's a blessing to you guys, it's a way for uh, for these lessons to reach even more people, so to God be the glory for that. Anyway, um, like I said, we've, we've got a, a lesson in Romans chapter 15, verses 30 to 33 today, and it's our last lesson in Romans chapter 15, so let's go ahead and get started with that with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the many lessons we have had in just this single book. We pray, Lord, that as we open your word today, that our lives would be transformed by your word, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit and teach us to become more like you. Draw us close to you today and speak to us as only you can, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the topic of today's lesson really could be summarized as dangerous prayer, talking about dangerous prayer. Now, I know that that might sound like something of an oxymoron, right, dangerous prayer, but the truth is that while prayer is absolutely a good thing, it's always a good thing, it's very easy for us to bite off more than we can chew, so to speak. For example, praying for patience is what I would consider to be a very dangerous prayer (laughs) because learning patience, well... It requires patience. It, it takes time. You can't just say, God, grant me patience and do it now. You know, obviously, <laughs> there's this irreconcilable conflict between the concept of patience and asking for it right now, right? If you pray for patience, you're basically applying for enrollment in the school of hard knocks, uh, and God is the dean. So um, yeah, it's not an easy prayer. It's It's a dangerous prayer. You see, prayer can be dangerous, at least from our perspective, because we don't always know how God is going to respond. And if we're asking for something specific, we don't know what it'll look like if he actually grants us what we're praying for sometimes. Prayer is serious, serious business, and I know that if there's one thing that I cherish or or covet more than anything else, it's your prayer. Uh, My hope is that anyone who is blessed by the ministry that God has given me would just Smother me with prayer. Really, I'm I'm being serious. And I, I know that any pastor or preacher, at least a pastor or preacher who has their head on straight, would desire the same thing as much as I do. Because if there's one type of person that the enemy of God is trying to trip up or use in a way that dishonors God, Whatever that might look like, it's guys who are in the same shoes that I'm in. And so, with that said, I think I can understand what Paul was feeling, at least to an extent, when he asked for others to pray for him. And if you read through the epistles, if you read through all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, uh, you can't help but notice that he is constantly requesting that the recipients of his letters be praying for him and his team of missionaries. He wrote to the Thessalonians, for example, which was one of his early letters he said brothers pray for us that's in first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 25 and of course that was right after instructing them to pray without ceasing in verse 17 in a second letter to the Thessalonians he wrote finally brethren pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith that's from 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. In his letter to the Corinthians, he writes out this beautiful introductory passage about how God is able to deliver us and he follows it up by writing you also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 in his letter to the Ephesians which was one of his later letters it was written sometime after his letter to the Romans Paul instructs them on putting the whole armor of God on right and he follows that up by writing pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak that's from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 19 to 20 and many of his other letters had requests for prayer as well so you see what I mean I mean he's Constantly asking for prayer. The prayers of his audience were of utmost importance to him. So it's not so much of a surprise that he also asks the church in Rome to pray for him. And we're going to look at that today. We know that his desire was to visit the church in Rome, to to go to Rome on his way to Spain and to be able to to spend some time with the church in Rome, visiting them. But first he was going down to Jerusalem with a gift for the saints. And so thus he continues by writing, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now what we're going to see today is that Paul's prayer request is actually threefold, but before we explore the prayer requests that he has, we should point out very briefly that any prayer on his behalf is by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Our prayers to the Father, in other words, are through Jesus as our mediator, as the one and only mediator between God and humanity, and they're driven by the love of the Holy Spirit. Now, we should remember that back in chapter 8, Paul told us that the Holy Spirit prays for things on our behalf, things which we might not even realize that we're in need of. So when Paul says, by or through, it can also be translated as through, the love of the Holy Spirit... Does he mean the Spirit's love for us or for our love of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's actually one of these things that's written in a way that doesn't preclude the possibility of either one or both. So next, Paul says, Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now this Greek term uh, that gets translated as strive together, it's one term that gets translated as strive together, is actually unique to this passage. It's the only place that this word is found in the entire Bible. The word is actually a combination of a prefix, which means with, and the Greek word uh, from which we derive our English word agonize. Further, the agon was a Greek athletic event, and the word came to be used in reference to any violent struggle or fight, especially in the face of overwhelming opposition. So it's important that we break it down like this because it gives us a clear picture of the dire and desperate need for prayer. The fact is that each of us, as followers of Jesus, is engaged in this invisible battle with the enemy of God, and we can't take a casual approach to this battle, or we will suffer and potentially slip into the trap where we take a casual approach to sin as well. This was Paul's view of prayer, and it would be wise for us to follow his example. You know, it, it's it's easy for us to take this attitude that prayer is, you know, this time of silence and reflection and contemplation and making our own requests known to God, but Paul is instructing them to join him on the battleground against the enemy through their prayers. And what I love about this is the fact that it communicates the real partnership that we who are united by our faith in Christ have with one another. When the stomach is hungry, the hand gets the food and the mouth chews it, etc., right? When the eye spots a destination, it's the feet that bring the person to it. See, the body of Christ operates in a way that's very similar to a real body with each part relying on the other parts. One of the ways that we do that is by partnering with other believers in prayer. See, Paul isn't like some lone ranger Christian who's just off on his own, and he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be perceived that way. He wants partners in prayer and in service. So never forget that our greatest achievements are accomplished as people who are united by our faith in Jesus. Now, as I said, Paul's going to take this opportunity to present three prayer requests, so he continues by laying them out, writing in verses 31 and 32, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. So Paul's first prayer request here is for deliverance from the Jewish authorities in Judea, or more specifically Jerusalem. That's where he's going. He knew that there was bad blood between the Jewish authorities and the early church, the early followers of Jesus who were uh, in Jerusalem, and he knew that he was essentially walking right into the lion's den. Uh, You know, I I once received a letter from a listener who asked uh, what proof or what evidence I had that our prayers were ever turned down. After all, didn't Jesus say that whatever we asked for in his name would be given to us? He did in John chapter 16, verse 23. Uh, But we need to understand the significance of the three tiny words in his name. See, to pray in Jesus' name means in accordance with the plans and desires that Jesus has. The psalmist wrote, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's from Psalm 37, verse 4. That's a cause and effect type of sentence. In other words, God wants to give us the desires of our hearts, but first, our hearts must desire what God Desires. So if we delight ourselves in the Lord, we'll desire what he desires and he will give us the desires of our heart. That's what it means to pray in his name. It's wanting what he wants. Our prayers should be given with a willingness, however, and this is important, our prayers should be given with a willingness to be refused. We know that God is working all things for the good of his children, right? Romans eight twenty eight. But he often has... Different ways of working things to get our good, to get to our good, than we might plan or than we might envision. Remember that it's called prayer. It's not called a command. See, God isn't some cosmic slot machine, you know, that hits the jackpot with every pull. God is all knowing, God is all wise, and He's all loving, and it's in His infinite loving wisdom that He accepts or turns down our prayer requests. John wrote this. He wrote, This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's from First John chapter 5, verse 14. So while it might be my will to, for example, uh, to win the lottery... Or to have a brand new Ferrari, you know that'd be great you know, or, or, or to get rid of, um, you know, to get rid of a fatal disease that I might have. If my prayers aren't in line with God's will for me, they will be turned down. And being that God knows better than I do what's in my best interest, I'll take God's way of doing things every single time. I know that my life, looking back on my life, man, it would have been a wreck if God had answered every prayer I've ever made the way that I wanted him to. And I have no doubt that the same could be said of everyone else as well. Now, while we're on this subject, before we continue, um, I do have a major pet peeve that I have that I guess I'll share with you guys, and that is when the Word of God, when the Bible explicitly commands us to do something, say the Great Commission, and when a person is asked to do it, they say, I'll pray about it. Now, I don't remember exactly where I read this, but I once read a blog post about how the phrase, I'll pray about it, is often just really a euphemism for no. Friends, if God's word explicitly tells us to do something, such as the Great Commission, spreading spreading the good news of the gospel, if God's word explicitly tells us to do something, we don't need to pray about whether or not we should do it. If you know it's God's will because it's laid out explicitly, just do it. Just do it. You can pray about how to do it or maybe when to do it, but commit yourself to doing it no matter what and not just praying about whether or not you should do something that you already know is God's will. If we don't know what God's will is in a given situation, and sure there are lots of situations like that where it's not explicitly laid out in scripture, then of course we should pray. But our prayers must be made with the desire that God would keep us aware of his will and his ways and keep us in his will and his ways and that we would choose his will over our own. Now of course this prayer request of Paul's, that he would be delivered from those who were disobedient in Judea or Jerusalem. Uh, It wasn't answered the way that Paul wanted it to be answered, right? God had a different plan. Paul would encounter the Jewish authorities. He'd be warned by Jesus himself to get out of town, but Paul would be disobedient. And his disobedience to that instruction to get out of town would find him taken into captivity. Does God answer all of our prayers according to our wishes? Here is absolute definitive proof that he does not. Paul's second prayer request is that the gift that he has for his fellow Christ followers in Jerusalem would prove to be acceptable. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it seems kind of odd. This is an odd request. Apparently, Paul was afraid that some of the members of the church in Jerusalem wouldn't want any money that came through him. I mean, that's kind of the implication there. We don't know one way or the other how this truly played out, but we do know that there were some real struggles with legalism among the early church. And if they rejected Paul's offering to them, it was a means of demonstrating their rejection of the message of God's grace through faith plus absolutely nothing. And that was what Paul stood for. Pure grace, totally opposed to legalism. Legalists will always proudly stand opposed to those who affirm and live by God's pure unmerited grace. That's just the way it is, and it's to be expected. So it's possible that Paul foresaw this as a possibility as he was going into Jerusalem. Now Paul's third prayer is that he would be able to visit the church in Rome and find rest in their company. He knew that the church in Rome was already an established group of Christ followers, and thus the amount of work that he would do would pale in comparison to the amount of work that was required of him whenever he went out and planted a new church. See, there's a type of refreshment that can only be found in the company of other followers of Jesus, and that's one reason. That's one reason among many that it's so important for each of us to be committed to and active in attending a local church. You know, I my heart breaks. My, I feel so sad for people who go from church to church looking for a group that has, you know, the the perfect programs or or sermons that are the perfect length or or not too much hellfire and brimstone or the perfect style of worship music. You know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they've got this huge checklist that really no church. perfectly fits into. Now, I understand that all of these things are important to a degree, but instead of asking what a church can do to serve us, we should always be looking at what we can do to serve the church. God gifted each of us to serve the body of Christ in a unique way, and that starts with each of us on an individual level. And this was Paul's prayer, and this was A prayer request that Paul wanted the Roman church to be making on his behalf. He wanted to experience this type of refreshment of fellowship with them. Paul had no idea that this prayer would be answered by a riot, his arrest and trial, his imprisonment, a shipwreck, and his confinement in the guardroom in the palace of Caesar sounds kind of weird to me whenever I say Caesar's Palace, maybe because I came from Las Vegas. So so Paul's prayer was partially answered, right? He did make it to Rome, and he did it on uh, the Roman government's bill, right? But he only did so in the chains of captivity to the Roman Empire. When he arrived, a small handful of Christ followers did come to visit him from the Roman church, but the vast majority of them buckled under the pressure of Roman intimidation and persecution. They simply didn't want to make known the fact that they were affiliated with Paul in any way. See, Paul was bound by chain to this Roman guard all the time. So if anybody ever came to visit him, it was impossible for that person to escape notice. And needless to say, Paul was really hurt by this. In his final letter, which was written to Timothy, he would write, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. That's from Second Timothy chapter one, verses fifteen to eighteen. So this one guy, Onesiphorus, was willing to consistently give Paul. A refreshment of fellowship that Paul knew that he so desperately longed for and he also knew that he needed. Now, of course, the book of Acts concludes almost as if it's in mid-sentence. The sudden conclusion of the book of Acts is an indication, a pretty strong indication, that Paul was probably martyred while he was in Rome. But this is one of those things that, you know, for definitive proof, definitive answers, we're just going to have to wait until heaven to get some answers for it. So Paul concludes this chapter, chapter 15, by writing in verse 33, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This benediction, that's what this is. This is a benediction. It makes it sound like we've reached the end of the book, uh, but we've got another chapter to go. A chapter that really amounts to being kind of an extended greeting and, and salutation You know, looking back over the book of Romans, the first half of Paul's letter was focused on the necessity of God's grace and the means by which we receive that grace. And the second half of the letter, chapters 12 to 15, focused on what it looks like to live by God's grace. And so it seems appropriate, therefore, that Paul would conclude the teaching section of this letter by referring to God as the God of peace. Because of God's grace, we have peace with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of peace, that you sent your son to die for us so that there would be peace between humanity and you. We know, Lord, that there is no way for us to earn your grace. We don't deserve it, but we thank you that you give it to us as a gift. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who loves us so, so deeply, who desires the best for us, and that you're working all things for our good. Even in times when it doesn't feel like it, God, we can trust in you. We trust in your infinite wisdom, your infinite goodness, and your love for us. Lord, I just pray that we would be drawn into closer fellowship with you and with other believers through our prayers and by attending church and being active in a community of believers. Thank you for your word today. I pray that it will convict us each individually in ways that we need to be convicted according to your will, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing.